Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to a surprise bonus episode of Dharma Talk. I'm your host, Henry Winslow, and this week, the tables have turned. I am in the hot seat for an interview for once with Grant Crawford and Keith Vartanian of the 20-somethings podcast. And for a little change of pace, I thought I'd recut it and share it out with you guys. When asked about the show, the hosts describe it simply as, quote, social commentary or, quote, sort of like group therapy, unquote. And this is a fun conversation to have. We cover a wide range of topics, including but not limited to mindfulness and yoga in the education system, the line between cultural appropriation and cultural exchange, making a living as a yoga teacher and the side hustle lifestyle, reframing perspectives around failure and performance, and modern spirituality and balancing faith with the rejection of dogma. So, no announcements this week. Just want to cut right into this episode. Hope you enjoy, and if you like it, check out their show, The 20-somethings Podcast, available on all your favorite podcast directories. Without further ado, please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with myself, Grant Crawford, and Keith Vartanian. Let's just get to the episode. Give it up for Mr. Henry Winslow. Dun, 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 dun. Somethings. Thank you. Thanks Happy for coming to be over. Here. Yeah, I'm glad we were able to work this out. Glad you were able to fit me in before I escaped the 20 somethings bracket. Yeah. 29 years How old. old. Are, you? Uh, are you? Yeah. When's, when's 30 coming around? April 23rd. Whoa. Nice. Now you got some time. I got some time. You got some yeah. time Do you have like some like 30 anxiety about that? Like I know some people, mm-hmm. that's a big deal, right? You know, I don't have too much anxiety about it. I think um, a lot of my friends are already past 30, so they dealt with that already, and I just lived through the stress yeah. vicariously, and yeah. I'm cool with it now. I feel yeah, like once you get like 23, and you keep having, it's like the birthdays don't even matter anymore. It just kind of all blends together. It's like, ah, eh, 24, yeah. well, eh, 25. 30, like, because of the, like, everybody delays. Like, it's not, everybody doesn't move as quick as they used to, right? So 30, like, as far as, like, passing those thresholds like 30 used to be like you have kids and you're settled down in a house in the suburbs and that's not really like it's not what it is anymore, anymore. yeah well right. especially for those of us who live in new york like yes. we have yeah alternative paths yeah. Sure. yeah it's weird when you talk to people that like i don't know if you have any like friends back in like like as i i come from a suburb and they all are you know getting they're already getting married they're, they're mm-hmm. having kids they're like thinking of at least thinking about it and 30 is definitely still their threshold, but it's weird yeah. how like that works in New York where it's like, yeah, maybe, but probably not. Right. Like it might not happen by that point and that's fine. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, which is not too far geographically South, but culturally speaking, still very much American South. Mm. And you know, like the girls did the debutante balls when they were ready to be <laughs> um, presented for marriage. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> which is crazy. I mean, it's like ritualistic and it's a little bit, I think there's an appreciation for the like tongue in cheek aspect of it. But, but yeah, I mean, people get married very young. Yeah. yeah. It totally is a cultural thing too. And it's a little, it's strange to see that like within like one country. Um, but we see that with, like um, girls we went to college with that were from like North Carolina, South Carolina. Oh yeah, like, they, the further they, south you get, you get there's traditions that come along. It with happens that. earlier and earlier too. So yeah. It's an interesting thing. 
Are you happy with like the uh, the past decade, the twenties? Is it? Uh, a good yeah, one? I'm I'm happy with where my life is right now. I never would have predicted it. I don't think you know what? ten what's, years ago. What's what's unpredictable about it? Um, I think just you know ten years ago I was um, following a much more traditional path and didn't really question it much because you know when you're growing up everything is just so like. I'm taking this step to get to the next step, to get mm-hmm. to the next step. And you never really have to sit with anything. Yeah. You're always focused on preparing yourself for what's coming next. And you're like getting ready to apply to college. And even before that, you know, yeah. it's like, what makes my resume look look good or my application, whatever. And then what makes my resume look good? Yeah. And it isn't until you actually are in a day-to-day life that doesn't actually necessarily go anywhere. It's like, okay, am I happy with this? Right. Like, am I okay right now? Like, yeah. is this going going well? Right. Or should I really be looking, you know, days ahead? Yeah. That's a very, I mean, that's a very meditation mindset to have as well. So, and I don't know yeah. if you want to introduce yourself because we sure. can't yeah, right sure. what, what you do. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, okay, my name's Henry Winslow, and I am a yoga teacher. So, yes, I mean, the meditation is a big piece of that. But, um you know, for me, my introduction to yoga was definitely not um, geared toward that end. It was more of like an uh, an after effect, which has since become very important. But at the time, I was just looking for something to keep up my flexibility and strength, very mm. physical um, focus in the beginning because I was a springboard diver. I oh, came, okay. Yeah, I came to okay. New York one summer in between my junior and senior year of college and at the time I was diving in college it was like my my sport my main extracurricular activity and I didn't have access to a pool here like I probably could have gone to the I don't know the the Y or something something, but it would have been probably pretty grungy and um, there weren't you know like competitive level diving boards and I didn't have all my stuff all my equipment Mm -hmm. to, to train or a coach for that matter right so I I connected to one of my old teammates who had already graduated was living in New York and he's like Henry man you got to come with me to yoga you're gonna love yoga it's like you get to do all this body awareness stuff it's all about proprioception and you get to do cool tricks just like diving like you'll get to stand on your head and your hands eventually and all that's this kind of stuff it's like okay cool I'll, I'll go do that with you and I had like a summer membership to New York sports club so I went to the yoga class there at a gym and mm-hmm. for anyone who's listening who practices yoga knows that there's like you know it's a far cry to go to a gym yoga class versus um you know going to a yoga studio or even more so like developing a personal practice so i went to that and i was like whoa this is there's something here even at a gym yoga class like no knocks against new york sports club they're still introducing people to yoga that's that's great i mean that's a miracle and um I got, I felt immediately connected to that and I was taking like yoga one night and then the next night I go to Capoeira and then the next night I did boxing. Ah. So I was like sampling the the goods, Cool. but, um, but I stuck with, I felt myself like more attracted to the yoga and I kept coming Mm -hmm. back to those classes. Eventually I had my favorite teachers and I was going around to different locations of the gym to follow the teachers and yeah, it, it just, it felt natural to me. Like I had been practicing it for a long time. That's amazing. What? Oh, sorry. So, go ahead. I was going to say with the diving, because I know this is, um, my father was a gymnastics coach. Oh, okay. And I've heard a lot from him that a lot of gymnasts go into diving specifically. Yes. So were you a gymnast before you were a springboard diver or do you, did you just start in, in diving? I was not a gymnast before I was a springboard diver, but you're absolutely right. There are 
tons of people that I, you know, crossed paths with and was on teams with or competed against who had come from gymnastics because gymnastics can be so impactful on the body Right. that over time it's like, okay, let's just let's do something where I can still do all the fun stuff, but let's land in water instead of onto a hard surface. Well, yeah. it's really interesting what you're talking about with body awareness too, because people don't understand. I mean, they watch gymnastics and they watch diving and everything. It's like, oh, that looks really cool, but... People don't understand how much same. I mean, it's well, really the same what, thing with yoga. Yeah, how much goes into it in terms of being aware of your body and being aware of where you are in space. Oh yeah, and it's it's really like that's a what I was going thing. to ask, like specifically about diving, and then I guess mm-hmm. how yoga helped enhance that. It's like yeah. when I watch the Olympics, which is usually the only time I watch diving or mm-hmm. any, you know, I think that's the only time that most people. Yeah, see yeah. It. I'm just so blown away like how do you know where you are in the air in space yeah 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 like how do you measure that well i think that you know i think this is true of any sport really like high level competitive athletes get into a meditative mode and Mm. when you're really really focused things slow down yeah time and space become more um I don't know if elusive is the right word, but they come more fluid mm-hmm. and you can really see what's happening at a different pace. It's mm-hmm. like flow state. Flow state. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's and you yeah. think that yoga really helped like expand that or like maybe tap into that? Well, so the fun, the twist at the end of the story is that I didn't end up going back to diving after that. I went back to school for my last year and ended up getting an opportunity to be in the singing group that took me around the world, which is a whole other story. But well, all right, we got, we got a lot to break down. Here. We got a lot to break down. Yeah. But, um, but I will say that, yes, I mean, doing yoga enhances your ability in any sport because the whole, the whole goal of yoga, you know, we talk about it as yoga and asana are, are terms that are basically interchange these days in popular culture asana is the poses okay yoga is a much bigger science and and method than that and if you look at the original texts they say that the goal of yoga is to um is to stop the monkey mind essentially is to overcome the mental chatter in your mind that blocks you from seeing who you really are which is the witness of all these thoughts and all these external impressions Hmm. so if you can get to that which is a lofty goal of course, that's mm-hmm. ambi- very ambitious and it's, you know, many lifetimes of work. But if you can get even closer to that, that's going to help with anything that you do in life. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what I, and I don't do yoga as often as I should. I mean, uh, me and, and you and pretty much everybody you talk to that goes to a yoga class right afterwards, they're like, I feel amazing. <laughs> you know, that moment where you're just laying on the floor once it finished, oh, it's like it's, it, you really don't. Where else does that exist in your day-to-day routine, right? right? right. And I mean, I've thought about it before, like, how can I tap into that and expand that and not just have it in these two minutes? Well, it's, you know, right. it's kind of what I get because I train jiu-jitsu and it's kind of what I get in training jiu-jitsu as well. After, as soon as that class is over, I kind of lie on the mats and I'm like, whoa, like that was amazing. And I think it really, you were, you're really correct with it taps into that, like, and high-level competitive athletes, yes, and also people that just train any sort of sport you know on a day-to-day basis if you're doing it day-to-day it taps into that you know slowing everything down and really getting out of your own head and focusing on what the task is at hand it's like people that surf they they feel the same way people that you know people that do jiu-jitsu people that do martial arts people that do yoga anything where it's like an individual task almost or an individual Mm -hmm. sport and you're fo and you're really forced to kind of be real with yourself 
and be real with like who you are. Like, okay, I'm not that good at this pose, but you kind of have to like, you know, mm-hmm. get out of your head with that. Yeah. And I think that that is a really, um, it's, it's, it's crazy how, how it happens. But I think that's really is why it, it feels so good is because you kind of get out of your own head yeah. for a little bit. Yeah. It's really, it's an, it's a nice feeling. I should do yoga more I think too. Like more so than like the activity of it. It is that mindset that's yeah. so wonderful that it's, you know, a lot of people talk about how yoga is kind of like oversaturated now and it's just been taken by pop culture and celebrities are doing it and this and that. Yeah. And there's but the whole debate over whether it's cultural appropriation I, or I not. I literally had that written down in my notes yeah. about a conversation. I mean, we can get into that for sure. <laughs> I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but like it more so than like the exercise itself, the fact that this practice is able to spread the ability to tap into that mindset is probably the most phenomenal thing about it especially mm-hmm. in the West where it's like that is not a thing that people are uh, taught growing up. You know, mm-hmm. they're not taught to like slow down mm-hmm. and right. like monitor your thoughts and like then let them go. Right. It's well, any it of in, you were, I think it's that? starting to be more taught. I mean, yeah. there's, well, there's yeah. a growing appreciation appreciation for that. And yeah, I mean, the education system would really benefit from including yeah. that. I well, mean, I just we have saw an PE, article. why not include mindfulness in right. every... I want to talk to yeah. you about this because I saw a thing, um, and I've seen it a bunch actually recently, where kids that get put in detention, I saw instead that of being put yeah. in detention, they're in put into like a meditative... I'm not sure if it's, if it's specifically yoga, but they're put into like... Uh, they're put on mats and they're, you know, they lie down, they go through a body scan and yeah. they do all of that stuff. Yeah. And it's crazy the results that they're yeah, getting. It's and it's tremendous. like, why haven't we thought of this before? And it really is that it's that American mindset of why well, do you want to slow down? Speed up, speed up, speed a, up, speed on up. On a larger scale as well. They're, they're offering yoga programs in prisons as yeah. well to, as part totally. of the rehabilitation process. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you, where do you fall on this cultural appropriation on the cultural appropriation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, I, I think that the, it's all about like how you approach it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with taking a tradition from another culture mm-hmm. and and using it and yeah. using it to your to your benefit. I mean, this is a science that's universal, and I, you know, I've spoken to personally. I've never been to India, which I'm sad to say, but I'm planning yeah. to go next year. Yeah, um, it's wonderful. I was there last year. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, really looking forward to that trip. But, you know, I've still, fortunately, where you live in a connected world digitally and you don't necessarily need to go somewhere to be able to speak to people, yeah. you know, from the source. And I, I've spoken to a number of Indian yoga practitioners and teachers who, who think it's fantastic, you know, that yoga is being spread across the world. And there are a number of teacher training programs out of India that are primarily teaching people not from India, you know, mm-hmm. to yeah, go right, out and do course. this. Because it's like a retreat almost. Yeah, it's like this is the ripple effect, you know. Um, you can teach more people to teach yoga, and then your impact is is exponentially magnified. Yeah, and you know, yoga is not a selfish practice. Mm-hmm. It's it's really about selflessness right. and service, and um, and expanding yourself so that you can be a better conduit of universal energy and be able to be a better. Uh, servant of the world yeah so i mean it's hard for me to weigh in on this as Mm -hmm. a white american you know but personally i don't see anything wrong with it i think it's great that more people practice yoga whatever it takes to get more people into practicing yoga especially when they truly understand what the goal is sure yeah absolutely 
Yeah, cultural the cultural appropriation or uh, debate is one that I don't don't necessarily know what to think. I feel like I'm, maybe like you said, as a white man from America, maybe I just can't really tap into that the mindset of people who are offended. Uh-huh. Uh, but there's probably it's probably just there's a right or and wrong way to go about it. Yeah. Right. Well, I think so people, like, and I, I'm in the same boat as both of you, obviously. But I think it's they might maybe want people to understand the science behind it a little more instead of just going to you know yoga to the people once. And I don't I don't see anything wrong with you yeah. know going to yoga once a week or anything. But I think it would be beneficial like for a tradition. lot of people to yeah. understand yeah. well to at least understand and to be knowledgeable about the tradition of it and the science mm-hmm. behind it and yeah. more like you were saying that is it, is it nasa how do you say it the, the poses well how, what is it asana asana asana, asana. 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 yeah yeah They're, you're you're correct in that like people really know the poses but they don't know that the the mindset behind it and they well, don't yeah. understand a that. lot of people have never heard of yoga outside of it's offered at my gym and right um you know there are two ways to look at that like yes you're getting you're getting a very very narrow perspective of what yoga is but my take on it is look if that is like a little teaser a little taste that gets people something. in the door, then yeah, at least you're getting something. And two, you're probably going to get a percentage of those people to get more interested mm-hmm. and yeah. dive deeper. Yep. Right. Like what's yep. the alternative? It'd be zero. Yeah. yeah it would be right. nothing. Right. Yeah. You just have to present things in a language and in a, in an angle that appeals to your, I mean, for lack of a better word, market. I mean, right. Ameri- we're in a capitalist system, right? And business are the things that have enough resources to be able to propagate something in a, in a wide way. So, yeah, I mean, they're thinking about how to get people in the door, how to get people on the mats, and they have a business incentive to do that. Sure, that's great. Mm-hmm. Right. But the, the actual effect and true nature of the practice is going to come out too. Right, yeah. right. It's just going to kind of come out with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean... I mean, let me just play devil's advocate really quick yeah. for those who are listening and don't really understand this debate at all. I mean, there is definitely some wild misrepresentation of yoga out there going on. I mean, like what? Like in the what? social media world, I mean, you see people who are using the name yoga, but really they're just like flaunting around in their underwear on their bed. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, I can see how you would be offended by that. Yes. You know? Right. Yeah. Um, but- you know, I've even like been a little bit triggered by that at times but then i'm just like okay why am i getting upset by this generally whenever you're upset by something in my experience and you know it's really just you're seeing something that reflects back on you that this is upsetting to you and it's like oh do i feel a little bit bad about how i'm on social media presenting myself yeah and you know well, it's, it's, yeah. it's something that you can apply to like many disciplines. Like I'm a musician and as a musician, like it's so easy. Now this isn't necessarily like a cultural thing, but it's the same thing where it's like, okay, I play guitar. That person's just DJing. Like that's not music. You right. know? It's like the right. same exact thing. <laughs> yeah. But when you think about it, it's just like, I'm just feeling insecure that he's doing what I'm doing just in a different way. You know, right. it's, it's all projecting insecurities on somebody else. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. It's so funny how musicians really do do it. My dad does but the same thing. But everybody does that. Yeah. Everybody. It's not just yoga. It's not just music. No, it's, it's like not. drawing. It's like, he's not a true artist. Like he's right. just doodling. He well, doesn't know yeah. how to use oil paints. In, in like, martial arts, it happens all the time. In martial arts, it's like, oh, he does soft martial arts. He doesn't do hard martial arts. So he's not a real martial artist. It's yeah. like, you might think that, but 
in you know in what he does it's it's different yeah but it's it's still martial arts it's still considered yeah. that so it's it's weird how we do that yeah and it's and people a, don't realize it too to you you know good on you for being able to step back and oh, of course. and kind of look at yourself well, and reflect and realize that with with the whole like um just the focus on social media for yoga teachers like it's like critical you basically have to do it these days Mm -hmm. there's a lot of that conversation going on and it's funny because it happens in like every direction like you can you'll see people look at someone who has amazing yoga poses like really difficult like physically rigorous and challenging postures to accomplish and they think oh that person couldn't possibly be a true yogi because they're just a gymnast Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and then they get it from somewhere else yeah they got it from somewhere else or they're too focused on the physical they've missed the esoteric subtler practices <laughs> it's so funny how we like that that is like the default like that's what we default back yeah. to when we see something like that instead of just like being like oh good for them good for right. them right? right it's so interesting yeah and also it's completely counter to like the values of yoga to be judgmental of someone yeah. else's practice in the first place yeah like check yourself yeah how how is uh the uh, being a yoga instructor right now because um i understand that a lot of people are getting certified to yes. become yoga instructors right so is there just like strictly from like a professional like making a living standpoint uh-huh. like is it like an oversaturated market are people able to are you able to make a living off of practicing yoga most of the yoga teachers i know who are who are thriving have some kind of side hustles going on gotcha. it's it's difficult to make a living and a sustainable living and live in a place like new york if you're just teaching group yoga classes in a yoga studio mm-hmm. because like you said yes tons of people are getting certified like every single day yeah um and part of the reason why that is, is because yoga studios have a tough time surviving as a business. Right. There's well, a lot yeah. of overhead and classes are fairly cheap. Even mm-hmm. if you think that they're expensive, like really to cover all their costs and pay the teachers and pay the rent on the mm-hmm. studio. And if it's a hot yoga studio, they got to pay for like the HVAC donation system. Based. A lot of them are donation based. Yeah. Donation yeah. based. I mean, so in order for them to stay afloat, they have to have higher ticket offerings. And so they're kind of pressured to offer teacher trainings where they can collect yeah. $2,000, $3,000 checks yeah. a couple times a year. Right. Um, so what you end up with is a ton of registered yoga teachers and not necessarily enough um classes throughout Mm -hmm. all the studios even when there is a studio on every block Mm -hmm. uh, of the city uh, to give people a full-time schedule but uh there are definitely ways to make a a good living as a yoga teacher teaching private lessons is big that's what i was going to bring up yeah and if you've been teaching for long enough and you have enough uh, of a reputation and enough to share, then you can go on and create your own teacher training program. You can do retreats. Really? Workshops are good, you know, to go around traveling and do a little tour. So to train other uh, instructors, you just have to be registered yourself? Well, no, there's a different level of, of oh, okay. registration and certification for that, too. Okay. But that's a whole other, that's another debate. I mean, there's so many things going on in the yoga world. Um there's a there's a body called Yoga Alliance, which is like the gold standard um, registration organization, and they accredit studios to offer teacher trainings, and they you can put your Yoga Alliance stamp on your sales page for your teacher training, and then as a teacher trainee or as a graduate of a training program, you get to say, oh, I'm Yoga Alliance RYT. Mm-hmm. You might have seen those letters RYT. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really mean anything, but mm-hmm. 
it's like anything else. I mean, we collectively agree to assign value to it, but I actually don't even have the RYT. Like mm. I've done an, a couple of teacher trainings and I didn't go through with the registration through their body because I didn't think it meant anything and I didn't want right. to really pay for that. Yeah. That happens a lot in the, in the martial arts world where like you'll, you'll take a franchised name. Like let's say like there are a lot of, um, you know, Gracie Baja, which is a huge name in jujitsu and in, in opening up your own jujitsu school, it would be very hard, mm-hmm. right? Because if you don't have a name in jujitsu, it's really hard to get. People want to go for the name. Um, just like people probably want to go for that stamp. It's like, the, it's like we assign a value to it almost. But in doing that, I think you have to pay like $10,000 a year or something. Yeah, oh, that's a lot. So that franchise, it's wow. like that whole, it's a business, you know, as much yeah. as it's yeah. like a, this like ethereal thing or this, you know, this practice, it's a, it's a business yeah. at, at the end of the that day. That sounds like a thriving business. <laughs> it is. I mean, well, listen, the, the Gracie's have a very, yeah. have a very, you know, substantial business going. So, But the hustle yeah. of like having like a side gig and then like a main gig, like applies to a lot of things these days. Like I know like for yeah. martial arts, right? You can give private instruction. Yes. And, and that's you the also, big, and a lot of people do, do that, right? Yep. I'm I'm an adjunct professor, okay. and it's the same thing. Like adjuncts, I actually read an article comparing adjunct professors to yoga instructors because the uh-huh. hustle is so similar in that like you're going from school to school, and it's oversaturated because there are a lot of people that are doing this like while they're in PhD programs in these yeah. large urban centers, and there's not enough classes to go around. Right. It's teaching classes, right? And so a lot of adjuncts have to have like two or three gigs on the side, whether it's private tutoring, so mm-hmm. the private lessons, or just like, you know, a uh, part-time job like within the university that's not teaching right. or something like that. Yeah. So it's it's everybody these days, it seems like, unless you're in like, like we were saying, like that cookie cutter, like I'm an accountant now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like right. I, I can make this, this salary a year. Like everybody's hustling, especially mm-hmm. in this city. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it's hard, um, and maybe you can speak on this a little bit, like I know you were saying it's hard in the city to maintain a living doing just yoga, but I wonder if it would almost be harder outside of the city, not because it's you know more expensive in the city or anything, but because of that factor of having to jump from school to school. And when you're in the suburbs, there might only be like two schools in uh-huh. your in your area. So it's like, okay, I'm teaching two classes today. One yeah. at this school, kind of one at the other like school. Urban center. Yeah. yeah, and that's kind of interesting yeah. too where yoga really in the U.S., at least in my opinion, maybe it's because I just live in New York, but it kind of started in New York and it's very much an, a, a city-centered thing. That's and I'm, anything, yeah, though. Yeah. Everything like this well, starts, starts in the city. And, and then it branches out, of course. Yeah. But I'm, it's, it's still really apparent in the cities. You know, A lot of people in New York do yoga and a lot of people in sure. stay in New York and teach yoga. So I wonder if it's if you think it would be harder to live in like a in an outskirt and and mm-hmm. trying to teach yoga even, even though it's cheaper, possible, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think it's it's sort of a supply and demand thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to a place where there's less demand for yoga, then there're going to be fewer studios. Right. But there're also going to be probably fewer teachers, so right. I don't know. It probably matches, but at the same time, yeah, totally. I mean, yoga feels very mainstream here, but there are parts of the middle of the country where people are still like, Oh, I don't want to do that. That's not Christian. That's like (laughs) idols. Those poses. Have you heard that before? Have you heard like, like people not directly, but I know that is happening. Really? I've never had anybody say that to me personally, but what is the, what is the catch with Christianity versus yoga? They associate it with another religion. Yeah. 
Which is true. It yes. is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's based in oh, Vedanta, you know, Hindu, yeah. Hindu scripture, but mm, it's like to open up, but that's, yeah, that's the melange of cultures. Like that's the cultural appropriation thing. Like, can you borrow something and apply it to yourself in a way that is valuable to you? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. When, especially when you like, when we say that, like it's, it's rooted in Hinduism, like then, then I really do actually start to understand why some people might be upset about it because yeah. it is like like especially with religion right it's so personal and it's yeah. so rooted in a culture and like mm-hmm. if this is a component of a religion and people that, that practice that religion to well, see, see like you is, said people i don't know that it's necessarily a component of religion it's mm. just that they developed like within context of one each other okay. of one another yeah so it's hard to remove one from the other mm. yeah like yoga was when it was first codified by Patanjali, you know, which is like, I think something like 5,000 BC or around mm-hmm. that time. I could be wrong about that. I don't know, but it was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically just like a science of how to be a better person. Yeah. You know? Right. And yeah, you can call that religion if you want or not. It's just like right. how to, it's a code of conduct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And, and the poses, you know, I, I I've spoken on this before already, but the poses are a very small piece of that. It's like the first two limbs of the eight limbed path of yoga are just like things that you should and should not do. Right. It's like the 10 commandments. Right. Mm. So do you think like the link, so it's like the poses are a small part of that, but also like the goal is like to, you know, embody this, um, mentality and lifestyle, right? How do they interact with one another? Like how do the poses lead to yeah living oh, well a okay life? so the reason why the poses are in there is they um, they help you fulfill a requirement which is called tapas hmm. tapas is the burning of austerity so um, if you if you look at yoga as a purification system then uh, then the poses help you to create a fire that burns out the impurities hmm. it's a it's a rigorous form of physical exercise yeah and. It's not the only way. It's not the only way to get the tapas. You can also get tapas through seeing something that you want, a desire, and restraining yourself from it. Mm. Ooh, that ice cream looks good, but I'm not going to have it mm. because I have self-control. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's tapas also. And the reason why that is is because desires make us feel good, but the long-term view of it is any desire eventually causes suffering. Mm. Because in the example of the ice cream, I have the ice cream. Mm, it looks good. Mm, tastes good. Oh, it's gone. <laughs> yeah, right. Yep. Now yep, I'm right. suffering. And now I feel bad. Yeah. I, yeah. So the more you can get away from the pull of desires in the first place, the mm. less suffering there is. So is it like maintaining the poses, that uh, sustainment of, of that position, and not breaking out of it, is that... Well, that's a personal preference, but oh, for me, it? I really believe in holding poses. Yes. But some people, you know, there are lots of different lineages and styles of even the physical side yeah. of yoga. And sometimes it's like quick movement. It's dynamic. It's right. mobile. It's, you know, that's the vinyasa class. Yeah. I guess I was just thinking like along the lines of like, if you're disciplining yourself, mm-hmm. you know, you're right. disciplining yourself not to eat the Ben and Jerry's pint of ice cream. Right. Then like right. I could see like maintaining that pose, even if it's uncomfortable. Right. 100%. You know? I agree yeah. with you. Not everyone does. Um, like chair pose 
I don't yeah, want right. to stay there. For yeah, life. and it's like <laughs> when those feelings come up, when you have the panic attack, yeah. when you feel all the nerves in your body and everything is telling you, get out of here and you stay. Yep. Yes, that's tapas. Yeah, cool. Okay. That's, it's really interesting because I've, I've never, I mean, I have thought about when I'm in yoga class, but when I was, and I always tie everything back to martial arts and I apologize, but when I was in martial arts <laughs> and I was a, when I was a kid, um, we would have to sit because in traditional martial arts is very different than like the type of, you know, mixed martial arts that you see now. Traditional is very much like you might get in what we call a horse stance, which is where you, you know, you open up your feet and, yeah. they're, and they're parallel and you have to sit in the stance. And sometimes my sensei would make us sit there for like 20 minutes and that really gives you a sense of like in your, you're in your head and all you're thinking about is god damn i just really want to stand up right now yeah and you know sometimes the discipline wouldn't come from yourself it would be from him hitting you with a stick and making sure right. that you sit down there yeah. but it gives you this sense of like self-control yeah self-discipline and it mm-hmm. it's really important i think for kids mm-hmm. and, th- and i've always advocated for kids yeah. martial arts but even you know for kids yoga and i, I what do you think, how do you think we can get that into like the, the educational system? Is there, is there a way to do it? Because well, I think it's happening. I really do. I mean, there, there are plenty of people and, um, you know, organizations that are, that are introducing these programs into schools. It's challenging because, you know, schools are run by the state for right. the most part. And you have to, you have to get buy-in from upper management, which is like at the governmental level and right. policy moves really slowly. Yes. But, um, you know, you can use private schools as a model. Mm-hmm. I think that's happening a lot. Yep. I was thinking and, like charter schools are really starting to do stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And then when, um, when you have the case studies of like the great work that this is, that it's doing and the results, you know, the detention, replacing that with mindfulness practice and seeing, you know, how that's affecting these kids' behavior and their performance in schools. I mean, that's what it really comes to. That's what's going to get people to change yeah, their mind about yeah. it. It's like, do they get better SAT scores? Right. Okay, right. Yeah. now we'll do it. <laughs> Which you is know? like, all right, like if that's what you need. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, think about it though. Like we have PE class, right? And like, and this might just be have been my school, but in my PE class, we played like kickball and yeah. like, you yeah. know, handball and like these ridiculous games that like, Kids had fun doing, I guess, but it was 45 minutes a day, three days a week, and you didn't get anything out of it. But I yeah. feel like if you took that and replaced it with something like yoga, yeah. with something like martial arts, it then well, becomes I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, I think you get something out of that too. You learn how to, you it's know, team be collaborative. Yeah. yeah. And there are things, yeah, for sure. And you get some physical movement, which is great too. Yes. Yeah. I just think that maybe it could be diversified. We're thinking about it wrong, and it could be diversified. And you could have other benefits as well. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't think in kickball, I learned any self-discipline. I don't think in, in, <laughs> in like handball, I learned any self-control. Yeah. You know, I think that those things are really, especially now with kids, those things are really important. Yeah. And we, and they don't have any other avenue well, the to only get The other it. way you learn that is through, it seems being punished. Like when you don't, you know, like, well, that's what like, happened in martial arts. You, know, you <laughs> yeah, get punished. Yeah. Well, the other thing is like for those games and those other, yeah, like the kickball and the handball. Like, if you don't want to do it, you can just like slink back in the corner. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no real and push. You, you can keep running away. Mm-hmm. You can't can't really keep running away if you are forced to confront yourself. Well, mm-hmm. and that's the, that the real that's the real difference, right? Is right. it in a team? And this is I've always advocated for individual sports as well because with a team, you can kind of blame it on the team, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, my team lost this baseball game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that uh, the pitcher sucked. 
you know, he was really bad this game. I did great out <laughs> yeah. right field not doing anything, but the pitcher sucked. Yeah, it's but, all Jimmy's fault. Yeah, it's all yeah. Jimmy. It's all Jimmy. Jimmy. Damn, Damn Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> but with, like, individual sports and stuff, like, I know when I went to tournaments and, you know, and you're in a kickboxing match or you're in a sparring match and everything and you lose – there is nobody's fault that you lost except for yours. And you have to sit and face that and confront that. Yeah. Yeah. And but maybe think, not. Yeah. And that's really empowering, right? Mm-hmm. Like to take accountability for what happens in your life. Yes. I mean, you have to surrender certain things to faith, whatever, and like the power of, of the unknown. But yes, like if you can take accountability for your failures, it means you can also take accountability for changing it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like it's, and I always tell my kids this cause I teach martial arts now and I tell my kids when they lose, I just, I just went to a tournament on Sunday. It's, you don't lose, you win or you learn and you have to learn. If you don't learn, then that, then the whole, this whole thing was worth nothing. Right. You know, in fact, losing sometimes is the best thing for a kid yeah. or best thing for anyone because you are forced to then go back to, you know, the dojo or go back to the school or go back to the, the the yoga studio and really confront like okay what did I what am I doing wrong what do I need to fix and that's what forces you to get yeah. better yeah with yeah. a team thing it's like uh, like I said like oh, fuck Jimmy Jimmy <laughs> yeah Jimmy did everything wrong I was great <laughs> out in right field but Jimmy it was Jimmy's fault yeah and then you don't change you don't change right. exactly you don't do anything to improve yourself yeah so it's it would be in and I'm glad that you say that it's happening in schools I would love to see it happen more in public schools but of course yeah. it's policy and right all that jib jab yeah sucks yeah but at least it's starting somewhere right yeah it's a slow process everything's a slow process yes and there you know there's precedent for it there's a there's a famous yogi who i i think he's one of the main um entities responsible for bringing yoga to the west a guy named paramahansa yogananda uh who wrote a book called autobiography of a yogi and Mm. he has you know he's got a bunch of centers um in in California and I think probably elsewhere now too called the self-realization fellowship and back when he was in India he had schools you know mm-hmm. to teach kids just like how to be people you know mm-hmm. it wasn't like teaching math it was like how do you breathe how do you watch yourself mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't even yoga poses either it's yeah. just like how do you exist in harmony with other people right like, which is so important how do you be a good right? person and that's <laughs> you so would much think that would be important. a part of the core education right, right. Like one of the core classes that you right. have to take yeah right yeah well it's like we want to raise our kids to i mean because you can raise your kid to be the best mathematician or whatever but if they suck at being a person when they get older <laughs> no one's going to want to hire them you know no one's going to mm-hmm. want to work with someone like that so you might be good at math you might be good at science you might be good at english whatever but yeah. if you're not a good person, but not only that, like it's not only like outward, like people's perception of you, it's their perception of themselves, you know? Like, yeah. so as they get older, like, yeah, totally. they probably won't get hired, but also like, how are they handling their anxiety? Well, how yeah. are they handling depression? You know, yeah. like how do they cope with that? How mm-hmm. do they get through their day to day? How do they, you know, push yeah. through the adversity that they're going to have yeah. in, you know, the, the obvious adversity that everyone has in life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think something like yoga and everybody needs a discipline, like something to you know, self-discipline yeah. themselves. Right. Yeah, for sure. Also someone, something to be like, you know, you're not the best at everything. You know? <laughs> True. There's, there's a lot of people True. like that and individual yeah. things kind of force you to, to have yeah. that mentality a little bit or to step well, that's, back. That's part of the education system now too. It's just like, everybody's like special which right. is true everybody is special but you're also not special in your specialness right yeah right 
if everyone's special, then nobody's special, right? right? Because everyone's everyone's special. Yeah. There's even like studies that show that over like the past two decades, there's been like a major inflation of grades in like mm-hmm. the education really? system. Where, well, it's like everybody gets an A. Well, and yeah. everybody, but, and there's, you know, there's, there's things be, like reasons for that, like job security. If teachers want to keep their job, the students have to perform well. And so uh-huh. everybody's grades are inflated, even though Jimmy didn't deserve <laughs> yeah. Jimmy, fuck, fuck Jimmy, Jimmy was goofing off all semester, but he still got a B plus. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so like, so now there's a generation of people who think, you know, and, and like, this sounds really harsh, but there's an illusion that they're better or like more intelligent or they don't need to be performing. Yeah. 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 Their performance is not necessary. Their their self-awareness of their performing capabilities is not necessarily accurate. Yeah. And then when they get into a true meritocracy, yeah. Um, and then and they're it's in shocking. for a world of, of hurt. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's, it can be really shocking. I think for that's a lot of people, the anxiety and the depression and all that stuff is because yeah. now it's, or, Oh, I'm not the best. You have to kind of face reality a little bit. Yeah. 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 You really got to face it. And people aren't prepared for that when they're handed participation trophies. And, you know, there, I remember in high school, there were so many kids that would sit in the back with their head on the desk and not do anything in class. And yet all of a sudden that kid was still somehow in like the top tier of classes, like, you know, in the level ones, I guess you would call it. Mm. And it's like, okay, they might be like smart and everything, but you got to take that into account a little bit that they're not paying attention. They're not really driven to do anything and they might not be putting out the best work, but yeah, you know, if you're just going to hand them an A, what are you really doing for them other than, you know, giving them this false sense of and reinforcing current behavior. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, this is okay. Now they're 25 years old. They're in their job and they're falling asleep at their desk because yeah. it's not going to work. It's not going to work. <laughs> no. So like bringing, bringing this back to yoga, what do you tell your uh do you do you call them students yoga students yeah what do you tell your students like when they fall out of a pose or something or if you see them like they're trying and they're not getting it like what's your approach to that well i mean if you're trying and not getting it then amazing great Mm -hmm. is if you're trying then i'm happy but um i do i mean i take a very mechanical approach to the poses i as much as I know that poses are not everything about yoga, mm-hmm. I love the poses. Yeah. I love doing my poses yeah. and I love working on them. Like I think having something that you're really interested in improving and developing is really powerful for anything, you know? Yeah. So I love working on my poses and I love helping students work on them. So if they've demonstrated an interest in that, I'm really happy. Yeah. Falling out of a pose is not a sign of failure or anything like that. I mean, it's just part of it. Yeah. And a lot of what I tell students is just that it's like reframing their mindset around what it means to fail and what it right. means to practice. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Failure is such a harsh word. Yeah, it really is. And the associations that people have with that word are really intense. Yeah. Really intense. Well, they think they're nothing. It's like, it's like a, it's like you broke them as soon as you tell them that they failed and yeah. you know, bring it back to what I, like what I say to my kids. It's like, you're not failing, you're learning. Yeah. Right. Well, you didn't fail. Learning. You tried. You tried. Like, yeah. And that's just as good, you know, yeah. in the long run, maybe not in the short game, you know, yeah. of like, oh, I wanted to get this pose today. Well, you didn't, yeah. you know, you didn't get this pose today, but you're building towards getting that pose a month from now. One step closer. Yeah. yeah. And, and here's the thing, like getting the pose doesn't really matter. Right. Yeah. It's the work right. that yeah. you do right. to get there that actually does the thing right. and has the effect on you. So if you fall out or you get it, un- honestly, it's like kind of better if you don't get it because you still have something to keep working on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think everybody's really accustomed to like instant gratification these days, and just yeah. like you know, I want ice cream, so boop, and now it's here, right? So yeah. it's like the same thing. Like I want to do this post, yeah, but I can't, and I now I'm very upset. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I brought it back to social media a lot, but like you see people like putting their leg behind their head or doing the scorpion, whatever, and you see that, and you're like, oh, I can't do it yet, so I'm failing. Yeah, but yeah, I mean they've already got it. So they don't get to work on, on learning how to do that anymore. Right. You know? So right. you're in a great place if you can't. Right. Right. Well, yeah. So yeah, you yeah. Want, I mean, half of, I mean, I've only, I only, you know, I'm not a consistent yoga practitioner by any means and I would love to be. Um, but I know that when I go to yoga class, it really is like the, the best part of it is for me at least is getting into a pose and really struggling with mm-hmm. that pose because if if I can hold a pose, like if I'm good at like one particular pose, it's like all right, like let's let's move on. Yeah, you know, because you've it's like, mastered I, it. I've got it's this, done. Like, and, and, and that <laughs> might be like literally the most like standing up straight <laughs> for me. <laughs> Mountain. Yeah, I'm good at that one. Yeah, um, but <laughs> but like that, and that's really what is that's what makes you want to work. So if I, I, it really is, you know, something like yoga and something like anything that's individual really forces you. Mm-hmm. to um i guess kind of t- step back from that instant gratification mm-hmm. and realize that like yeah. no things are a process and like you're going to yeah. get it eventually and then you'll have something else that you you got to work mm-hmm. towards you know yeah and i think coming to that realization is also a process unto itself mm-hmm. like in the beginning it's perfectly normal and you shouldn't beat yourself up if you are chasing postures right but like at this point i mean i've got a lot of postures under my belt and I can like, I can do them. I can pull them out. It's not a big deal. And now when I like see somebody else do something that I can't do yet, I'm like, yes. Oh my God. Like I'm inspired to try something that I can't do. I'm struggling with it. Like right now I've, I've been recently practicing a little bit at the Dharma yoga center. There's an amazing teacher named Sri Dharma Mitra who, um, he's like in his eighties and he smiles like a child every single Mm -hmm. day. He's just like, you know, if we can That's all be awesome. like that when we're in our 80s, then we did a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, he teaches all these different headstand variations where he like takes his hands away and stuff. And I've just never worked on that. So now I'm like getting really like giddy about practicing that. And it's fun, you know, because I can't I'm not even close. Right. right. It's just not something in my wheelhouse right. yet. Well, what, yeah. What a great mentality to like seek out things and be happy when you're challenged with something. Yeah. When adversity constantly is learning. Yeah. Yeah. It's like something people like lose once they get out of college and stuff. It's like oh, I don't want to learn anymore. I just want to yeah. like do work. Yeah. It's like what's really the gratification in that? You know. I, I don't know if if yoga is like this, but I'm, I'm sure it is. Like, is it like like a thousand poses? Like, there's just thousands of poses that you can do. And it's, oh yeah. Yeah. And jujitsu is the same way where it's like, you might like, I'm going to be rolling with someone, right? I'm going to be sparring with someone and I might be trying this certain arm bar variation or this certain choke variation over and over. I'm never going to get it. Mm-hmm. And then finally I do get it. And now I'm getting it every single time. And it's like, all right, well, I'm not going to go for that anymore. Uh-huh. Now I have, now my teacher is showing me something new and I'm going to go for this new thing. And it's going to take me months and months and months to get. Yeah. And it's that yeah. like constant, it, it's kind of built into into the sport or into the activity, right? Mm-hmm. Of you're never going to be perfect. Like that's like kind of like mm-hmm. the central kind of mentality. Because how sad would that be? Right. If you already right. like did right. everything. Then who you're cares? Done. What do you do? Right. Like, who cares? oh, I won yoga. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Game's over. You can just 
kick back, binge some Netflix for the rest yeah. of your life. Well, actually, if you win yoga, that means you achieved a liberation and you no longer have to be in physical reality. So you did wow, it. Wow, you really did win. That's the lottery. <laughs> yeah, right yeah, there. yeah. The golden boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, speaking of wit, like liberation and yeah. uh i guess like enlightenment yeah, right I, sure. I don't know why i did quotation marks around that but i guess <laughs> well, because I, don't fully, I don't terms. fully understand yeah. you know the yeah, concept me neither, but um otherwise i wouldn't be here do you consider yourself <laughs> like a religious person or spiritual or like where do you fall on that uh spectrum of yeah belief um, versus non-belief you know i was not raised in a religious family at all um my parents are you know uh, Protestant Christians, but I wasn't even baptized. Like I'm the okay. youngest of five kids. They all were baptized, but they kind of just got tired of it. Yeah, we weren't yeah. going to church by the time I came around. Yeah, that um, happened with a lot of things. Like they didn't, I didn't learn how to ride a bike either. They're just like, you, you got it. You, you ride a bike. Now? <laughs> yeah, I learned later. A friend taught me when I was like eight years old. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was not, you know, indoctrinated into any dogma of any kind. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't really until. Um, I started practicing yoga and, and finding my own interest in some of the ways these ideas were expressed that I got connected to spirituality. Mm -hmm. And I would say that, um, I am a, I don't even know what these words mean, but I guess non-religious spiritual person, I definitely believe in God. I believe in a higher power and, um, it's part of my practice to pray. I mean, I don't call it praying, but that's basically what I'm doing mm -hmm. is speaking to, to God and being, and expressing gratitude to God and mm -hmm. the forces that are not my own, yeah. but go through me. Yeah. I was just reading a, an article the other day that was like about how we need to start reframing, you know, everything's moving in a direction now, uh, specifically you hear about it a lot with gender of like non-binary and things like that. And it was yeah. talking about, you know, looking at belief versus non-belief as non-binary like it's not just your one or the other like mm. you can fall somewhere on that spectrum and be spiritual and believe in a higher power but just because you believe in a higher power doesn't mean that you are you know part of organized religion or anything like we have right. to get rid of these connotations yeah right? it's are, not black or white there's just yeah like, yeah there's there are different ways to look at things it's right. a complicated co yeah. topic a very complicated concept yeah. so yeah. you should allow room for different interpretations absolutely for sure. and i think it's so so important to to i mean me personally to be spiritual in some capacity i mean and you know that's my opinion but i think that in a total like existential crisis of a world i don't find it productive to think anything else you know well like i'm i don't i don't believe like you said i'm not religious either i'm saying mm -hmm. i'm like more like you i would say in yeah. that way but there there are it's more than just like there are so many positive benefits for your mental health and how like kindness and cooperation that come mm -hmm. along with thinking like that yeah. versus thinking that everything's meaningless mm -hmm. and you have no purpose. Right. And we're all stuck in a meaningless vacuum of black hole yeah. nothingness. I just feel like the alternative is just, yeah, well, might as well, you know, <laughs> be, a be spiritual, like, you know? Yeah. So. Well, I think there are, you know, 
plenty of atheists out there who would argue, well, I don't need to believe in God or anything larger or more powerful in order for me to be kind and compassionate because there are practical benefits to doing Mm -hmm. that. We have a more productive society if we can be nice to each other and not kill each other. And that's true. Yeah. That's definitely true. But um, I also think on top of all those reasons to care, you know, basically that's what it is, is Mm -hmm. reasons to care. Mm -hmm is you also have a support system underneath you for after you've done all of your work mm-hmm. and done all the things you can Community. to be your best your yeah. se- best self and to be the best version of your your contributor to society is okay when everything i've done slips away and if it doesn't work i still have my faith yeah. in something bigger it's like easier to find that common thread right between everybody like we're all one big community and if you accept that there's something connecting us Mm -hmm. in some capacity if you call it god or if you just call it a higher power or just like a force of energy whatever mm -hmm. then the chances for all of those things that yes you said you could do believing in nothing but it acts like a catalyst to produce them right Mm -hmm. it's like well i'm not going to treat if you're me right if we're all me like i'm not going to treat myself yeah Poorly. And it's so it's it's it is a catalyst for cooperation. It does help exactly. people cooperate. It does uh, promote community. Yeah. And so I think that I don't know, it seems like such like a we need to reframe like the death of God, you know, like uh-huh. that whole like big like transition that happened in the early 20th century and just like reevaluate that because I feel like it's just kind of been left there. You know, mm. it's like, well, maybe it's not totally meaningless. Maybe there is some. Yes, there are a lot of negatives that come along with religion, for sure. But maybe there are also some positives in there. Like, it it lasted so long for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. It's persisted, and it's been found in every culture ever throughout human history. And so I find it difficult to believe that it has nothing positive to give anybody. Right. That's a difficult argument to make. Yeah, Yeah, it is. Well, it's also what needs to happen, too, is religions need to stop bashing one another because we all have to accept and spiritual and spiritual you know spiritualities as well all of them in one conglomerate need to stop bashing each other and realize that like none of us really know what the hell is going on and what we are and where we came from and who's above us and who's below us and Mm -hmm. and we need to understand that like you might believe this and you might believe this and but we all believe in at least something right that that clearly connects all of us to one to one you know specific thing or to maybe a couple things i don't know but it connects us in some capacity and while i don't think the answer like you said is to be atheist you know and to forget that we have any sort of connection at all i think there does need to be some sort of agreement between communities like yeah maybe you're right about this maybe i'm wrong about this maybe i'm right about this and maybe you're wrong about this but there is something and it doesn't matter whether it's Allah, whether it's God, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, the Buddha, whatever, it doesn't matter who's up there. It's something. And we're all, we're all underneath it. Yeah. And it's like, can you see the forest for the trees? You know, like the, the details don't really matter too much. Right. Like they're really just mythologies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's the underlying meaning that, that counts. Right. And all of these religions that have, you know, survived the the centuries. Like they speak and they tell their their truth in poetic language because it's much more powerful in mm-hmm. communicating the 
energetic and emotional underpinnings than to try to explain something logically. Right. I'm actually thinking about writing my, my thesis on that is like the need to like bring back, like, like present like literature and possibly, you know, even like religious texts as a form of communicating like these metaphysical concepts that are more difficult for some than others to grasp. Mm-hmm. Like you can explain an entire metaphysical concept to somebody and they'll just go, it's difficult. Like the language is difficult. It's very abstract and people's minds work in different ways. What literature does and what storytelling does is it allows you to understand these concepts. It like waters it down, but you still get out of it what you need to get out of it. Yeah. And I think that we need to start thinking about these things like that again. Yeah. Like, yes, the Bible, you know, it's a story. Like it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a collection of stories mm-hmm. and fables or whatever you want to call them. It doesn't mean that there's not messages within them, you know? Yeah. So like, I don't know. Like, I think that there is a place. I think that it's a really valuable tool to, um, you know, spread these messages and provide them to everybody. It's just another tool in the system to give somebody another medium to understand these things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I wonder if if changing the phrase, because I know in like Western culture, the word religion has a certain connotation, right? It's kind of like a group mentality. It's a it's a group thing. But in, in Eastern culture, spirituality is much more the word that I associate with it. Like you think of Eastern spirituality and it's not so much a, I, I don't know if it's not so much a group thing, but just that word, at least for me, gives it a whole different connotation. And I don't yeah. know why that is. And I don't know if you know anything about that as to why it's, you know, yoga is like a, more of a spiritual thing rather than a religious thing. Mm. And what is like the the gap between those two and how can we kind of close well, that gap? I don't know. I mean, to me, religion seems to carry a connotation of following strict rules. You know, mm-hmm. there's like a spectrum of orthodoxy for sure, even mm-hmm. within religion, but spirituality sounds more like something that's based on your own individual choices and beliefs right and you can kind of create your own it's like, kind of free-flowing and, a little yeah, bit pick and mix right yeah but religion is like okay i've identified with this group therefore i do what they do i believe what they believe i act as they act and right. i'm part of this right yeah well i have a, a friend i was just back home i'm from boston i was just back home recently and um, I'm, he's like one of my best friends. And he just told me um, that he found out that his little brother was gay, right? Mm-hmm. And they're a very religious family. And Christian. Christian, yes, yes. And it was really Irish sad. Catholic? Uh, no, no, actually, no, but they are Catholic. <laughs> okay. Uh, I believe he might correct me if I'm wrong. But um, anyway, he, he found out. Uh, because this his brother was was searching, you know, will I go to hell for being gay? Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, that's such a religious thing yeah. to it's such a Christian thing to be thinking about. Like as soon as I I separate myself from this in any form, in any which way, all of a sudden I've broken, I've I've, mm-hmm. I've committed a sin, I've broken the the commandment, I guess, and now I'm going to hell. Whereas with spirituality, it's like no, like. You can do that as long as you are still, you know, in sort of in this, you know, blur of a bubble, not this hard to find bubble, but you're in this blur of a bubble, you're fine. 
Like as long as you have like these good qualities about you, you're okay. Mm-hmm. But with religion, it's like as soon as you step out of that bubble, yeah, it's like you're you're you know ostracized almost. Yeah, yeah. and it, I it, I wonder if we just changed it, changed the name. Let's change it. Let's just change it. We'll start it right, <laughs> right. now. We're starting to Everybody it. listening from here on out. What it's should we call it's, it? It's we the Christian it. spirituality. It's not, it's not the Christian religion. Oh, we got to be more creative than that. Yeah, yeah, that name. The, I don't even know. I don't know what it would be, but. but it's really like it's apparent how the the difference and and how crazy that difference difference is between yeah. a, a spiritual you know a spiritual being and a religious being and how and you're right it's very defined over here and it's kind of more free flowing over yeah. here you know there's actually a a really um this is a bad word to use, but I'm going to use it anyway. Like a cult followed book. It's not a cult, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, it's like kind of like a subculture book, mm-hmm. um, a scripture, a, del- uh, I guess that's what they call a channeled text where mm-hmm. like the writer didn't, doesn't take credit for writing it, but it was like downloaded from a message mm-hmm. and she wrote it out. It's called a course in miracles. Mm-hmm. And the book is really interesting because it basically it is what you're talking about. It's Christian language. So they talk about like the Holy spirit and, and even Jesus, I believe Jesus's name is used. Um, but the uh, underlying message is very, very different from what is taught in Catholicism. Mm-hmm. It's not about sin. The whole thing is to reprogram your ideas about what is sin, because the human is love. The human is divine consciousness and the human cannot sin. This whole uh, Mm. scripture is about teaching you how to forgive yourself and forgive other people. It's like, if you can do the work of walking around and blessing and forgiving every single person you see, then, then that's it. You did it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because forgiveness is such a pillar of that entire religion too, but it's, it's interesting to see that you can see it in two such, such different ways, like looking at the same concept of forgiveness. It's also just a very, it's also a very unforgiving religion yeah it's it's like they, well, it's they like, preach forgiveness yeah. but it's very unforgiving well, that's right yeah so it's a bit of like you a can paradox. be forgiven for some things yeah but for other things but the fact that nope. it's even like handed out in that way like do you get yeah. it do you yeah. get the forgiveness yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i don't know yeah well as long as yeah. you go sit in that box and you tell someone you know yeah. you're forgiven I yeah guess. exactly <laughs> and you yeah. don't do it again yeah well here starts the revolution of religion in yeah. this room today. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The new, the new, the new religion. Oh no, yeah. let's not say that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just bad. follow us. Now we're a cult. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're gonna have to cut this off here because we got okay. we got work. <laughs> we have oh, real jobs 10? we have to go to. Those yeah. job things are yeah, always getting in the way. Yeah. 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 Um, but this was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. This is great. It's a great conversation. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah. 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 So, Do you want so, to pitch anything or? There's things I want to talk about that I didn't get to. Like, I know well, we you can said have you have again, a, too. We can, yeah, yeah. Maybe we'll do a follow-up episode. Yeah. yeah. That'd be cool. Um, you know what I will pitch? Just one thing is uh, I have a podcast, too. So um, I talk to yoga teachers and yoga practitioners about the concept of dharma, which is it has a lot of different interpretations, but um, really means like the path or purpose that you follow in this life. So my podcast is called Dharma Talk with Henry Winslow, and it's on all the podcast directories Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, Spotify. So awesome. check it out. Yeah, cool. we'll put a link in the bio for anybody that's interested. Yep. Yeah, we'll All put right. a link right down there. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. See you guys later. Bye.